Psalm 49 of the Treasury of David. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Treasury of David, Volume 2 by Charles Spurgeon. Psalm 49. Title. To the Chief Musician, a Psalm for the Sons of Korah. This is precisely the same as on former occasions, and no remark is needed. Division. The poet-musician sings, to the accompaniment of his harp, the despicable character of those who trust in their wealth, and so he consoles the oppressed believer. The first four verses are a preface. From five to twelve, all fear of great oppressors is removed by the remembrance of their end and their folly. Thirteen contains an expression of wonder at the perpetuity of folly. Fourteen and fifteen contrast the ungodly and the righteous in their future, and from sixteen to twenty the lesson from the whole is given in an admonitory form. Note the chorus in verses twelve and twenty, and also the two silas. Exposition. Verses one through four. Hear this, all ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable, I will open my dark saying upon the harp. In these four verses the poet-prophet calls universal humanity to listen to his didactic hymn. 1. Hear this, all ye people. All men are concerned in the subject, it is of them, and therefore to them, that the psalmist would speak. It is not a topic which men delight to consider, and therefore he who would instruct them must press them to give ear. Where, as in this case, the theme claims to be wisdom and understanding, attention is very properly demanded, and when the style combines the sententiousness of the proverb with the sweetness of poesy, interest is readily excited. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Men dwelling in all the climes are equally concerned in the subject, for the laws of providence are the same in all lands. It is wise for each one to feel, I am a man, and therefore everything which concerns mortals has a personal interest to me. We must all appear before the judgment seat, and therefore we all should give earnest heed to holy admonition, which may help us to prepare for that dread event. He who refuses to receive instruction by the ear will not be able to escape receiving destruction by it when the judge shall say, Depart ye cursed. 2. Both low and high, rich and poor, together. Sons of great men and children of mean men, men of large estate, and ye who pine in poverty, ye are all bidden to hear the inspired minstrel as he touches his harp to a mournful but instructive lay. The low will be encouraged, the high will be warned, the rich will be sobered, the poor consoled, there will be a useful lesson for each if they are willing to learn it. Our preaching ought to have a voice for all classes, and all should have an ear for it. To suit our word to the rich alone is wicked sycophancy, and to aim only at pleasing the poor is to act the part of a demagogue. Truth may be so spoken as to command the ear of all, and wise men seek to learn that acceptable style. 
rich and poor must soon meet together in the grave, they may well be content to meet together now. In the congregation of the dead all differences of rank will be obliterated, they ought not now to be obstructions to united instructions. 3. My mouth shall speak of wisdom. Inspired and therefore lifted beyond himself, the prophet is not praising his own attainments, but extolling the divine spirit which spoke in him. He knew that the spirit of truth and wisdom spoke through him. He who is not sure that his matter is good has no right to ask a hearing. And the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. The same spirit who made the ancient seers eloquent also made them thoughtful. The help of the Holy Ghost is never meant to supersede the use of our own mental powers. The Holy Spirit does not make us speak as Balaam's ass, which merely uttered sounds but never meditated, but he first leads us to consider and reflect, and then he gives us the tongue of fire to speak with power. 4. I will incline my ear to a parable. He who would have others hear begins by hearing himself. As the minstrel leans his ear to his harp, so must the preacher give his whole soul to his ministry. The truth came to the psalmist as a parable, and he endeavored to unriddle it for popular use. He would not leave the truth in obscurity, but he listened to its voice till he so well understood it as to be able to interpret and translate it into the common language of the multitude. Still of necessity it would remain a problem, and a dark saying to the unenlightened many, but this would not be the songster's fault, for, saith he, I will open my dark saying upon the harp. The writer was no mystic, delighting in deep and cloudy things, yet he was not afraid of the most profound topics. He tried to open the treasures of darkness, and to uplift pearls from the deep. To win attention, he cast his proverbial philosophy into the form of song, and tuned his harp to the solemn tone of his subject. Let us gather round the minstrel of the King of Kings, and hear the psalm which erst was led by the chief musician, as the chorus of the sons of Korah lifted up their voices in the temple. Verses 5-12 through 12. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth, and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth for ever. That he should still live for ever, and not see corruption." for he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue for ever, and their dwelling-places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless man being an honour abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. 5. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? The man of God looks calmly forward to dark times, when those evils which have dogged his heels shall gain a temporary advantage over him. Iniquitous men, here called in the abstract iniquity, lie in wait for the righteous, as serpents that aim at the heels of travellers, 
the iniquity of our heels is that evil which aims to trip us up or impede us it was an old prophecy that the serpent should wound the heel of the woman's seed and the enemy of our souls is diligent to fulfil that premonition in some dreary part of our road it may be that evil will wax stronger and bolder and gaining upon us will openly assail us those who followed at our heels like a pack of wolves may perhaps overtake us and compass us about what then shall we yield to cowardice shall we be a prey to their teeth god forbid nay we will not even fear for what are these foes what indeed but mortal men who shall perish and pass away there can be no real ground of alarm to the faithful their enemies are too insignificant to be worthy of one thrill of fear doth not the lord say to us i even i am he that comforteth thee who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die and of the son of man which shall be made as grass scholars have given other renderings of this verse but we prefer to keep to the authorized version when we can and in this case we find in it precisely the same meaning which those would give it who translate my heels by the words my supplanters six what if the good man's foes be among the great ones of the earth yet he need not fear them they that trust in their wealth poor fools to be content with such a rotten confidence when we set our rock in contrast with theirs it would be folly to be afraid of them even though they are loud in their brags we can afford to smile what if they glory and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches yet while we glory in our god we are not dismayed by their proud threatenings great strength position and estate make wicked men very lofty in their own esteem and tyrannical towards others but the air of heaven is not overawed by their dignity nor cowed by their haughtiness he sees the small value of riches and the helplessness of their owners in the hour of death and therefore he is not so mean as to be afraid of an ephemera a moth a bubble seven none of them can by any means redeem his brother with all their riches the whole of them put together could not rescue a comrade from the chill grasp of death they boast of what they will do with us let them see to themselves let them weigh their gold in the scales of death and see how much they can buy therewith from the worm in the grave the poor are their equals in this respect let them love their friend ever so dearly they cannot give to god a ransom for him a king's ransom would be of no avail a monte rosa of rubies an america of silver a world of gold a sun of diamonds would all be utterly contemned o ye boasters think not to terrify us with your worthless wealth go ye and intimidate death before ye threaten men in whom is immortality and life eight for the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth for ever too great is the price the purchase is hopeless for ever must be the attempt to redeem a soul with money remain a failure death comes and wealth cannot bribe him hell follows and no golden key can unlock its dungeon vain then are your threatenings ye possessors of the yellow clay 
Your childish toys are despised by men who estimate the value of possessions by the shekel of the sanctuary. 9. No price could secure for any man that he should still live forever and not see corruption. Mad are men now after gold, what would they be if it could buy the elixir of immortality? Gold is lavished out of the bag to cheat the worm of the poor body by embalming it, or enshrining it in a coffin of lead, but it is a miserable business, a very burlesque and comedy. And as for the soul, it is too subtle a thing to be detained when it hears the divine command to soar through tracks unknown. Never, therefore, will we fear those base nibblers at our heels, whose boasted treasure proves to be so powerless to save. 10. For he seeth that wise men die. Every one sees this. The proud persecuting rich man cannot help seeing it. He cannot shut his eyes to the fact that wiser men than he are dying, and that he also, with all his craft, must die. Likewise the fool and the brutish person perish. Folly has no immunity from death. Off goes the jester's cap as well as the student's gown. Jollity cannot laugh off the dying hour. Death who visits the university does not spare the tavern. Thoughtlessness and brutishness meet their end as surely as much care and wasting study. In fact, while the truly wise, so far as this world is concerned, die, the fool has a worse lot, for he perishes, is blotted out of remembrance, bewailed by none, remembered no more. And leave their wealth to others. Not a farthing can they carry with them. Whether heirs male of their own body, lawfully begotten, inherit their estates, or they remain unclaimed, it matters not, their hoardings are no longer theirs. Friends may quarrel over their property, or strangers divide it as spoil, they cannot interfere. Ye boasters, hold ye your own, before ye dream of despoiling the sons of the living God. Keep shoes to your own feet in death's dark pilgrimage, ere ye seek to bite our heels. 11. Their inward thought is, that their houses shall continue for ever, and their dwelling places to all generations. He is very foolish, who is more a fool in his inmost thought than he dare be in his speech. Such rotten fruit, rotten at the core, are worldlings. Down deep in their hearts, though they dare not say so, they fancy that earthly goods are real and enduring. Foolish dreamers! The frequent dilapidations of their castles and manor-houses should teach them better, but still they cherish the delusion. They cannot tell the mirage from the true streams of water. They fancy rainbows to be stable, and clouds to be the everlasting hills. They call their lands after their own names. Common enough is this practice. His grounds are made to bear the groundling's name. He might as well write it on the water. Men have even called countries by their own names, but what are they the better for the idle compliment, even if men perpetuate their nomenclature? 12. Nevertheless man being in honour abideth not. He is but a lodger for the hour, and does not stay a night. Even when he dwells in marble halls, his notice to quit is written out. Eminence is evermore in imminence of peril. 
the hero of the hour lasts but for an hour. Scepters fall from the paralyzed hands which once grasped them, and coronets slip away from skulls when the life is departed. He is like the beasts that perish. He is not like the sheep which are preserved of the great shepherd, but like the hunted beast which is doomed to die. He lives a brutish life and dies a brutish death. Wallowing in riches, surfeited with pleasure, he is fatted for the slaughter and dies like an ox in the shambles. Alas, that so noble a creature should use his life so unworthily and end it so disgracefully. So far as this world is concerned, wherein does the death of many men differ from the death of a dog? They go down, to the vile dust from whence they sprung, unwept, unhonored, and unsung. What room is there, then, for fear to the godly, when such natural brute beasts assail them? Should they not in patience possess their souls? We make a break here, because this stanza appears to be the refrain of the song, and as such is repeated in the twentieth verse. Verse 13. This their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. Selah. 13. Their vain confidences are not casual aberrations from the path of wisdom, but their way, their usual and regular course. Their whole life is regulated by such principles. Their life path is essential folly. They are fools in grain. From first to last, brutishness is their characteristic, groveling stupidity the leading trait of their conduct. Yet their posterity approve their sayings. Those who follow them in descent, follow them in folly, quote their worldly maxims, and accept their mad career as the most prudent mode of life. Why do they not see by their father's failure their father's folly? No, the race transmits its weakness. Grace is not hereditary, but sordid worldliness goes from generation to generation. The race of fools never dies out. No need of missionaries to teach men to be earthworms. They crawl naturally to the dust. Selah. Well may the minstrel pause and bid us muse upon the deep-seated madness of the sons of Adam. Take occasion, reader, to reflect upon thine own. Verses 14 and 15. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. And the upright shall have dominion over them in their mourning and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. 14. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. As dumb-driven cattle they are hurried to their doom, and are penned in within the gates of destruction. As sheep that go whither they are driven, and follow their leader without thought, so these men who have chosen to make this world their all are urged on by their passions till they find themselves at their journey's end, that end the depths of Hades. Or, if we keep to our own translation, we have the idea of their dying peaceably and being buried in quiet, only that they may wake up to be ashamed at that last great day. Death shall feed on them. Death, like a grim shepherd, leads them on, and conducts them to the place of their eternal pasturage, where all is barrenness and misery. 
the righteous are led by the good shepherd, but the ungodly have death for their shepherd, and he drives them onward to hell. As the power of death rules them in this world, for they have not passed from death unto life, so the terrors of death shall devour them in the world to come. As grim giants in old stories are said to feed on men whom they entice to their caves, so death, the monster, feeds on the flesh and blood of the mighty. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. The poor saints were once the tail, but at daybreak they shall be the head. Sinners rule till nightfall, their honors wither in the evening, and in the morning they find their position utterly reversed. The sweetest reflection to the upright is that the morning here intended begins an endless changeless day. What a vexation of spirit to the proud worldling, when the judge of all the earth holds his morning session, to see the man whom he despised exalted high in heaven, while he himself is cast away. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling." Whatever of glory the ungodly had shall disappear in the tomb. Form and comeliness shall vanish from them, the worm shall make sad havoc of all their beauty. Even their last dwelling-place, the grave, shall not be able to protect the relics committed to it. Their bodies shall dissolve, no trace shall remain of all their strong limbs and lofty heads, no vestige of remaining beauty shall be discoverable." The beauty of the righteous is not yet revealed, it waits its manifestations, but all the beauty the wicked will ever have is in full bloom in this life, it will wither, fade, decay, rot, and utterly pass away. Who then would envy or fear the proud sinner? 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. Forth from that temporary resting-place we shall come in due time, quickened by divine energy. Like our risen head, we cannot be holden by the bands of the grave. Redemption has emancipated us from the slavery of death. No redemption could man find in riches, but God has found it in the blood of his dear Son. Our elder brother has given to God a ransom, and we are the redeemed of the Lord. Because of this redemption by price, we shall assuredly be redeemed by power out of the hand of the last enemy. For he shall receive me. He shall take me out of the tomb, take me up to heaven. If it is not said of me as of Enoch, he was not, for God took him, yet shall I reach the same glorious state. My spirit God will receive, and my body shall sleep in Jesus, till, being raised in his image, it shall also be received into glory. How infinitely superior is such a hope to anything which our oppressors can boast! Here is something which will bear meditation, and therefore again let us pause at the bidding of the musician who inserts a sila. Verses 16-20 to 20. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away, his glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived he blessed his soul, and men will praise thee, when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers, they shall never see light. 
man that is in honour and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. 16. In these last verses the psalmist becomes a preacher, and gives admonitory lessons which he has himself gathered from experience. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich. Let it not give thee any concern to see the godless prosper. Raise no questions as to divine justice. Suffer no foreboding to cloud thy mind. Temporal prosperity is too small a matter to be worth fretting about. Let the dogs have their bones, and the swine their draught. When the glory of his house is increased. Though the sinner and his family are in great esteem, and stand exceedingly high, never mind. All things will be righted in due time. Only those whose judgment is worthless will esteem men the more because their lands are broader. Those who are highly estimated for such unreasonable reasons will find their level ere long, when truth and righteousness come to the fore. 17. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. He has but a leasehold of his acres, and death ends his tenure. Through the river of death man must pass naked. Not a rag of all his raiment, not a coin of all his treasure, not a jot of all his honour, can the dying worldling carry with him. Why then fret ourselves about so fleeting a prosperity? His glory shall not descend after him. As he goes down, down, down forever, none of his honours or possessions will follow him. Patents of nobility are invalid in the sepulchre. His worship, his honour, his lordship, and his grace will alike find their titles ridiculous in the tomb. Hell knows no aristocracy. Your dainty and delicate sinners shall find that eternal burnings have no respect for their affectations and refinements. 18. Though while he lived he blessed his soul. He pronounced himself happy. He had his good things in this life. His chief end and aim were to bless himself. He was charmed with the adulations of flatterers. Men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. The generality of men worship success, however it may be gained. The color of the winning horse is no matter. It is the winner, and that is enough. Take care of number one is the world's proverbial philosophy, and he who gives good heed to it is a clever fellow, a fine man of business, a shrewd common-sense tradesman, a man with his head put on the right way. Get money, and you will be respectable, a substantial man, and your house will be an eminent firm in the city, or one of our best county families. To do good wins fame in heaven, but to do good to yourself is the prudent thing among men of the world. Yet not a whisper of worldly congratulation can follow the departing millionaire. They say he died worth a mint of money, but what charm has that fact to the dull cold ear of death? The banker rots as fast as the shoe-black, and the peer becomes as putrid as the pauper. Alas, poor wealth, thou art but the rainbow colouring of the bubble, the tint which yellows the morning mist, but adds no substance to it. 18. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. Where the former generations lie, the present shall also slumber. 
the sires beckon to their sons to come to the same land of forgetfulness. Mortal fathers beget not immortal children. As our ancestors have departed, so also must we. They shall never see light. To this upper region the dead worldling shall never return again to possess his estates and enjoy his dignities. Among the dead he must lie in the thick darkness, where no joy or hope can come to him. Of all his treasures there remains not enough to furnish him one poor candle. The blaze of his glory is out for ever, and not a spark remains to cheer him. How then can we look with fear or envy upon a wretch doomed to such unhappiness? 20. The song ends with the refrain, Man that is in honour, and understandeth not, is like the beasts that perish. Understanding differences men from animals, but if they will not follow the highest wisdom, and like beasts find their all in this life, then their end shall be as mean and dishonourable as that of beasts slain in the chase or killed in the shambles. From the loftiest elevation of worldly honour to the uttermost depth of death is but a step. Saddest of all is the reflection that though men are like beasts in all the degradation of perishing, yet not in the rest which animal perishing secures, for, alas, it is written, these shall go away to everlasting punishment. So ends the minstrel's lay. Comforting as the theme is to the righteous, it is full of warning to the worldly. Hear ye it, O ye rich and poor, give ear to it, ye nations of the earth. End of Psalm 49